Welcome to A Day in the Why, a podcast where I talk with fascinating folks about the jobs they've held, the things they've learned, and how well those line up with their values and goals. You may just learn something, but I hope you'll at least laugh along with us as we dive into the mistakes we've made, the lessons we've learned, and the secrets behind how we got where we are today and where we're going tomorrow. Welcome to A Day in the Why, episode number nine. Today, my guest is Russ Orlowski. Uh, he's a local realtor I met via our neighborhood's Facebook group and who, due to his occupation, stayed on my radar. Welcome to the show, Russ. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy we could get together today because what you do for a living is actually something I've considered doing, taking on myself in the past, and also because you're the first guest I've had that really doesn't have any significant career pivots, meaning you haven't gotten to where you are now via any you know, uh, super interesting twists and turns. You've actually, you know, we'll talk about this, but you apparently found your North Star early and just headed for that throughout your entire career. So I was thinking that today we could explore that evolution within your chosen field. You certainly will, uh, will have experienced upturns and downturns in the market. And I'm curious about how your values and goals changed over that time relative to the, the way the market played, right? And what you've encountered in your, in, your, uh, in your day-to-day. So to start things off, real estate is a complex and a very broad field. So can you give us an overview of what you're doing these days in that field? Yeah, um, I specialize in residential real estate. Uh, residential and commercial are completely different worlds. So I have always been in the residential side of things, mainly existing homes and, and new home sales. Done it since 2003, uh, so about 18 years now, and uh, really happy and enjoy being able to help people find their right home for them and when the time is right to, to sell and move on as well. So have you always been in residential real estate or have you looked into the commercial end of things? I've always been in residential. That's where I, I started when I got into the industry. And uh, to be honest, the commercial side is, is so much more broad and, and different that it, the, the residential is where I, I found comfort. Is residential or commercial, is it more insulated from ups and downs in the market or are they pretty much the same? Pretty much the same from what I gather. Um, of course, you know, when, when things are down, people are going to be a little bit tight on their money for commercial side as well. Okay, so since you have a focus on residential primarily. I'll try to avoid asking you about, about commercial too much. Uh, so you've, you, when, when did you get your start as a residential real estate? Well, it was the summer uh, between my junior and senior year at the University of Tennessee. Um, I kind of had a oh crap moment. Uh, I'm a year from entering the, the quote unquote real world and wasn't sure exactly where I was going to go. Um, that summer, uh, my, my cousin who I'm really close to, uh, his wife, was uh, had formerly worked for a real estate attorney and developer and had an interest in getting her license. And I liked HGTV and I saw what it looked like and had always thought real estate would be cool. And uh, we decided jointly to take our real estate exam together, um, take the test and exam together and get our licenses. It was kind of naive, just like, you know, from the outside looking in, it looks like it's just showing houses. You know, you show three houses, you get pick one and you sell a home and you go on the next one and um, didn't really understand or, or know how, how tough of a, a career it actually is when it comes down to being self-employed, obtaining business, getting your sphere of influence to support you, things of that nature. I was uh, fortunate that uh, I did have an acquaintance that was in real estate and a top producer in the Blunt County area. Not long after getting my license, his assistant at the time left for maternity leave 
and decided she wasn't going to be coming back. So I was offered a job as a licensed assistant, which was huge because um, me not being from the area, uh, didn't know very many people. Starting off in real estate on my own would, would have been extremely challenging. So it gave me a really good end to learn the business, uh, ran his office for 10 years and learned a lot of the ins and outs and, and kind of got my roots in the business. Okay, so that was kind of an apprenticeship period for you. It, it kind of started out that way um, and then turned into pretty much running day-to-day operations for for one of the area's biggest producers. Is that something that if someone knew they've just got their license, they're looking around just like you were, is that something that you recommend, uh, that sort of situation? Absolutely. There, there's so much to know in this business. And, and really, even after 18 years, I still learn something new every week. I and mean, there's there's always changing changing parts and pieces of each deal. So if you can hook up with somebody in the, at the beginning that's, that has their business uh, established, it's extremely beneficial to you. So now we're at the end of this, this 10-year stint where you've been learning how to run a business and then essentially running the business. What was next? The relationship that we had kind of deteriorated and it was time for, for a fresh start. So um, in February of 2014, I decided to just be an independent agent and kind of... Uh, go out on my own. Okay. So what does on your own mean in terms of a, a realtor? Because it's a little bit confusing to me, and I'm sure it is to some of my listeners, You know how the, the hierarchy, the organization, the business entities, all that works in terms of an, an agent. Uh, I know that there's some sort of a high-level Uber agent that you have to afford into or be associated with. Uh, yeah. How does all that work? Yeah, it, it is confusing because when I say I'm on my own, people would assume that I have my own company and business and I'm running it myself. And in reality, each agent in the state of Tennessee is an independent contractor. So you are your own business in a way. You do have to hang your license under a principal broker. And the principal broker is the real estate firm that you see advertised. So when you see a real estate sign, you see a company name and then you see an agent's name. And the company name is the principal broker that the license hangs under. Okay. So who is your principal broker? My principal broker is Justin Bailey with Realty Executives. So you're a Realty Executives realtor, mm-hmm. uh, but you own your own business because you're an independent contractor, but you're associated with, i.e. responsible to this principal broker. Correct. And in the state of Tennessee, um, after you've been with they call an affiliate broker, uh, which is a big, allows you to become a realtor, um, once you've been that for three years, you can obtain your, your license to be a real estate broker, at which point you can open your own firm. I do have my broker's license, which I obtained back when I was um, running the other office. But having done that and experienced both the private uh, office side of things versus being with a firm, I've discovered that for my personality in this point in my life, that it's easier to hang my license under another broker and let them take on the the cost of bookkeeping, uh, extra insurance, accounting, things of that nature. And then I can just focus strictly on, on my personal business of selling homes and, and helping my clients. Okay, so that principal broker, uh, in addition to satisfying the legal requirements, they're essentially providing the infrastructure of the sales mechanism. Absolutely. Okay. And that's something that, that if you're doing, you're not actually focusing on selling and, and, and supporting your, uh, your customers. Correct. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, what is your favorite element of being in real estate? What's your favorite part? My, my favorite part is honestly helping new buyers, first-time buyers. I 
like them a lot because they usually listen to what I say. <laughs> Sometimes when somebody has, has bought and sold four or five, six homes, you know, they kind of think that they've got it all under control and it, they, they stray away. But first time buyers, the, the excitement that's involved with that big purchase, knowing that you're actually buying a home versus renting at that point in your life and stuff, is, it's just, it's really exciting. And I, I enjoy the new question, all the questions and, and, and teaching them along the way. I know we, we actually had a, a friend of ours that my wife had met through her husband, uh, a mutual work acquaintance. So she was extra caring and, 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 and uh, careful with us, you know, advised us extremely well. And uh, because of her, her care and attention, that set us up for a lifetime of progressively getting money back out of our investments and being able to push that forward. So we're, we're always, uh, we're, we're eternally grateful to our first realtor that we worked with. I assume that that's something that you aspire to as well, to really set people up for success. A absolutely. I enjoy talking people out of purchasing homes just as much as purchasing homes, because in the end, I want to be that person's go-to for life. I don't want them to be six months from now saying, man, this person really talked me into this home when it wasn't the right fit, or they made me overlook these these items that I should have taken more more seriously. So I really want people to make the, the right choice and be completely satisfied and comfortable in the end. Can you give an example of, of a time where you've talked someone out of buying a home? Which, and, and I'm digging into that because it's not something that you hear about a lot, is you know a realtor talking you out of buying a house. It seems counterintuitive and it seems something that someone who's commercially motivated, solely commercially motivated, wouldn't do. Yeah, I have, uh, growing up, my father was always hands-on, so I was always helping with products from the house. And then in college, I spent about two years working for a contractor. So that knowledge combined with 18 years now of sales, I see a lot of things when walking through a home that a normal person or most people just wouldn't see. So for instance, if I see dollar signs everywhere I look and I know someone's budget and what they're trying to do, that they may be strapped like on a monthly budget as far as the purchase price of a home, I may point out that these costs are going to be in whatever range they're gonna be. It may make somebody realize that Pointing out the shortcomings of a home or the amount of income or, or funds that are going to be required to update a home or keep it going could cause concern for a, a buyer that maybe is on a tight budget or a limited budget moving forward. So if you, for example, you saw the condition of the roof and, and it was clear to you that within the next year or two years, they're going to have a huge capital expense. Uh, that's something that you might point out and say, you might want to rethink this, this particular house. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that's not for all buyers. You know, some buyers may have the, the budgets moving to, to take on renovations and projects and stuff, but often a first time buyer is kind of stretching to make things work for their for their first home. Yeah, I mean, if they've barely come up with a three and a half percent, then it, they're certainly not gonna be able to, to swallow a, a ten to $50,000 renovation. Uh, absolutely. So to flip that uh, from, from your favorite, if you could minimize or surgically remove an aspect of, of your job, what is it that you don't care for in real estate? I hate giving people bad news would probably be my, my biggest thing, whether it be that they didn't get the bid in a multiple offer situation, that a home inspection revealed things that we, we weren't expecting and it's gonna be you know outside of what somebody can take on, or appraisal came in low, any kind of bad news. I, I, I want things to run smoothly, people to stay happy, and um, once someone has identified a home as being the one that they want, to be in, I really want things to work out for for it to be the right fit for them. And there's no way around uh, delivering bad news. So how do you 
How do you mitigate that? How do you soften the blow? It's hard. I'm, I'm usually pretty direct with it just because there's, you know, if it's, it's such a big decision and a big purchase in life, you know, it, it, you, you just got to hit them with it kind of. It, there's there's no way to soften, hey, this house isn't going to work out for you. So let's take a step back. What do you think are the most influential stepping stones in your life that, that put you on this path? So that could be the influence. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, family uh, or a close friend already, but maybe that's the influence of other family and friends or the first job you had over the summer or significant life experiences. What, what, what do you think led you here? It's really something that I just stumbled upon and that it worked. It, it, there was there was really no point in my childhood where I was like, I'm going to be a realtor someday or, or get into real estate. I had thought that uh, growing up that I was going to be some kind of business executive and running a big company and the, you know, the, the boss man somewhere. And the, the real estate path just really just stumbled upon it. That one summer, that one conversation, we were, we were sitting on wave runners out on the Clinch River and all of a sudden the, that night we we're signing up for the real estate class. It, it, it happened really quickly and unexpectedly and was never a, a goal or, or, or a vision that I had at a younger age. When, when I started getting interested in real estate investment a, a few years ago, one of the things that I saw repeatedly, usually in forums for new, new, you know, new investors, was the idea of getting off the fence, right? I don't, you know, do your research, but don't do too much research. At some point, you have to take action. You have to do something. And it, it's funny for me to hear you say, you just, you're sitting on a wave runner and, and you, you went that day and made a decision and, and t- took the exam. So you were very, uh, uh, there wasn't much forethought in, in that decision at all. You just took action and obviously it paid off. So despite having had a consistent career in real estate, were there ever moments where you thought about other vocations? Have you looked into doing anything else and has anything else been tempting? There have definitely been times throughout the years where that's happened. As I mentioned, I got my license in in 2003. So I've, I've kind of experienced the best of times going through four, five, and six. And then when we, of course, went through the recession in 08, 09 and stuff, there were scary moments where it was like, you know, is the real estate industry going to survive? Am I going to survive? Um, you know, the office was was tight. A lot of a lot of realtors left the, the business during that time frame. So there, there's definitely been moments like that. Overall, I'm, I really enjoy what I do. And I realize how fortunate I am to, to, to say those words because not everybody gets to enjoy their their line of work so I've, I've always tried to focus on all the positives and, and and keep moving forward knowing that overall it's a it's a really uh, good fit for me and i enjoy doing it were there any changes that you had to make to i guess your lifestyle or your approach to the business when those downturns happened uh, absolutely you, you you go from you know planning uh, your next vacation to figuring out what you're going to sell next. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I, I, I had a collector's car that I really enjoyed and, you know, I had to make the sacrifice to sell it to, to keep things afloat during those times. I had a motorcycle at one time that I sold, you know, for, for extra money and stuff. So um, with, with the ups and downs and, and the, the changes that, that come with it, you, you definitely make sacrifices and, and, and change your vision of where you're going to be someday. I've, I've had a number of freelance friends over the, over the years, and an example I'll use is a, a, an illustrator. Um, so just like you, times can get lean and, and then times are rich. This, this uh, gentleman from time to time would reach out to me and say, hey man, there's, you know, I've got nothing on the horizon. Do you know of anybody who needs work? How does that work when you're a realtor? It's scary because <laughs> there is no salary there is no no base pay um you're you're 100 uh commission based so when when you go two or three weeks with the phone not ringing quite as much uh it, it can be kind of you know what's going on but w- once you've uh, done it for a long time you just got to put faith in the in your 
past track record, the connections you've made, the people you've helped, and somehow it somehow keeps cycling around to the to the next sale, next next client. Okay. So I'd like to switch gears and talk about values and goals. Uh, in real life, many of us don't necessarily closely examine our values and goals, or at least not frequently. I think it's helpful to do that once in a while to see if yours have changed over time. Uh, I know certainly my, my values changed slightly once the quarantine hit because we had this enforced period of isolation. And so my value that I assigned to in-person interactions increased. Like I, I, you know, someone comes to the door to deliver a package. I'm like, hi there guy. I don't know at all. It's great to see you, you know, just because you're, you're, uh, you're starving for human contact. Um, so how, how have your values changed uh, or could you sum up the values that you hold most dear? And that can be as, as general or and specific as you'd like. Yeah, there's there's two things that I I think of with that question. I, I think of uh, my grandmother who was an amazing woman, and she always said to follow your heart was always her advice. And and I think of that anytime I've got a big life decision to make. And then my mother, who is just just as great of a woman, uh, has always. Uh, lived by the golden rule and, and express that. So I just really try to treat people the way that I want to be treated. I try to be honest and fair with everybody I, I encounter. And uh, I think that's helped me a lot. I'm, I'm not a pushy sales type person. I, I'm very laid back. I, I'm not calling every day asking people, you know, hey, are you ready now? Are you ready now? I, I want people to be comfortable and, and try to, to uh, treat them the exact way that I'd like to be treated as well. So given that those are your values, what specific goals have you made that are supported by those values? And that could be career goals, personal goals. Um, it could be social, like related to friends and family or education, getting that sports car back and getting that motorcycle back, whatever it is. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people in life, and especially those who are self-employed, do goal setting and goal planning and stuff. And I honestly don't look at the future or set goals the way that some people do as far as volume of sales or, or things of that nature. There's there's so much that is unknown when you're self-employed that really I just focus on the here and now because taking care of what I have in front of me is the most important thing. I can't predict the future, who's going to be buying or selling or contacting me. So I, I, I really just try to take care of what, what, what's in front of me at the moment. So would you say that you don't really have any specific goals at the moment? As my dad would say, flying by the seat of your pants. Kind of, yeah. Because, you know, in the next year, I could have 50 sales or I could have 10 sales. So are there things that I, I would like to have? You know, sure, you know, home improvement projects at the house, you know, updates or things of that nature. But I, I really do try to take things day by day. I know that one aspect that applies to a lot of different careers is that as you get more senior or, or just get older, you move away from wanting to do all the, 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 the quote unquote grunt work, right? Or the repetitious type work. And a lot of times what someone will do is they'll set up their own shop and then bring in people that are earlier in their career, train them, and then in exchange for that trading, they'll, they'll have them do the grunt work, right? And that sounds a lot like what a principal broker situation might be like. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that you might want to move towards later in your career? It's really not. I kind of did things in reverse or experienced things in reverse by being a licensed assistant for 10 years and managing an office. I, I got to experience what a lot of people work towards and realize that it wasn't for me. I much prefer being an independent agent and helping people directly one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of times when you see these real estate teams uh, that, that are marketed on, you know, on billboards and in magazines and stuff like that, the clients don't get to actually interact with the leader of the team, the main, the main face that you see. They may see them at the listing appointment, but from there on, like the the team takes over. And don't get me wrong, teams are great. They're they're very well uh, 
qualified people and they do a great job, they're organized, but I like to have personal quality control over everything where since my name's tied to it, that I'm directly interacting with people. I, I like the one-on-one -on -one approach in, in keeping things on a scale where I can manage everything. Okay. Well, I would say just from the outside looking in that, that you, you do have a goal and that is really to, to maintain that personal sense of service and the, the personal identity, your personal identity attached to, to everything that you touch, uh, to all your deals, right? And not becoming a management type that doesn't actually have that personal interaction. So are there any uh, tips or tricks, any rituals, habits or practices that help you get all of your work done, have influenced your success and work and, and remaining aligned with your values? I, I think a big part is I'm, I'm very organized. I, I try to head things off before they, they get to a boiling point. After all these years, uh, I, I can I've become very efficient in managing day-to-day -day operations. I typically know what comes next and can can be ready for it and guide people to it. Do you have do you, I mean do you keep a journal, a bullet journal, something people have mentioned before, or just personal organizer? Do you live out of Outlook? Um, you know, what, how do you keep track of of how do you keep all the balls in the air? It's all in my head for the most part, and that's one of the. Oh, man. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that delegating stuff would become difficult because when, when you want to know where everything stands at any given moment, you, you've got to be touching it and in, in, in contact with it. And um, yeah, every, everything's in my head. I do have, of course, you know, my, my Google Calendar that I, that I run off of every day. But between email and text messages, I'm constantly scanning my, those two things, just seeing if I've missed anything and, and clearing out when something is complete. I, I, you know, move on to the next. So what, if any, are some areas that you think could stand some improvement? For me, that's staying organized and uh, finishing projects that I've started. Those are my two weak points, is, is a horrible, chaotic disorganization, papers everywhere, uh, you know, 18 projects that I'm, I'm halfway through or three quarters of the way through, or I've just begun and I've set other projects aside to begin it because, you know, beginning projects is fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably for me, if I could change one thing about my personality or, or towards work would be if I was more extroverted versus introverted because I tend to be more shy in social settings and stuff. And, and if I was talking and engaging more, I probably could increase business and, and, and things of that nature. But yeah, I'd say, you know, being, being more of the shy, quiet type, I really rely on personal relationships that I've developed with people. You're, they call it the sphere of influence in real estate. And, and that's what has driven my business and keeps me going. So everybody, and, and this is, a, I wrote this down as an optional question if we had time. Everybody likes to speculate, but where do you see the housing market going over the next 12 months? And I'm referring really more locally here yeah. than anything else. So let's say uh, the, the greater Knoxville area, or even as far as East Tennessee, uh, what, what do you think that the market looks like over the next 12 months? We're extremely fortunate to be located in a place where people are wanting to relocate to. A lot of your larger cities, metropolitan areas are having an exodus and we have people coming in. I think I just saw this week where one metric ranked uh, the Knoxville market as number 12 in the country for uh, relocation. That's huge. You know, there's there's a lot of markets out there. So when you've got people coming in, um, that kind of helps isolate you from other uh, forces that are going on. So if, for instance, if interest rates go up in the next 12 months, which they're saying they're going to raise probably into the, the around the, the mid threes, uh, some markets might see a slowdown due to that. But because we've got people moving in from all these other states and areas on top of 
the, 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 the folks that we've got graduating from the University of Tennessee or, or starting careers in Knoxville that are already local and moving on to the point where they're getting ready to buy homes, we're fairly isolated. So to kind of answer your question, I see things um, as far as the, the price increases probably starting to level off a little bit. I don't see prices coming down. We've got too much of a lopsided supply-demand situation right now where uh, demand is, is far outpacing supply. And that's not something that's gonna change overnight. So I, I think things are gonna stay pretty pretty much a seller's market um, in, in, the, in the foreseeable future for Knoxville. I know there's a metric that, that realtors use, something about the number of days uh, supply of houses there is at any given time. Is that something that you frequently refer to or think about, that, that number? It, it is. Um, when we sign into our MLS system, there's four or five different graphs. They show a different, um, different metrics. It can be uh, days on market showing how long the average house is on the market. That has gone down considerably, showing sales price to list price ratios. And also, as you mentioned, uh, supply, uh, supply. The, the, the number of days of supply. There is. And then also you have uh, the absorption rate for, for how quickly the actual market is turning over. We've gone, for, for instance, uh, w when I purchased my house six years ago now, I had a search set up for West Knoxville for homes that were priced, I believe up to $250,000, three bedrooms, two baths. And uh, at any given time, uh, when I would hit refresh on that search, I would come across 50 to 60 listings. That same search today, I have, I have, I've never, I've not modified the search at all. I've kept it the same. That same search now only um, comes up with five to ten results. So we have about a quarter to a fifth of the inventory that we had just a few years ago. And what is the number of realtors working in the area? What does that ratio look like over that same period of time? In other words, do we have more realtors that are in the market now trying to, to service the, the smaller market, or do we have fewer realtors? We definitely have more more realtors. I'm kind of seeing the same thing that I saw back in four, five, and six, where a lot of people were entering the, the industry, and uh, then the recession came and a lot of folks exited. With it being good times again, as, as far as the real estate market, um, we're, we're seeing a lot of people come in. I, believe, and I, I probably should check this, but I believe the Knoxville Association of Realtors is closing in on 5,000 realtors. I think the last number I saw was around 4,700 was with the number of uh, active licensees currently in the Knoxville market. And is it better for a new realtor to get started in a market or is it better for them to get started in a low market and, and basically learn in a, in a vicious boot camp, so to speak, and then as times improve, they're just going to excel because they've made it through the hard times. It really depends on somebody's personal situation. For instance, if, if somebody just relocated here from another state and even if they had real estate experience, it's hard to get started because your sphere of influence and who you know is so important. It's really hard to, to get people to just randomly pick you out of a lineup of, of 4,700 people. So on the flip side, if, if somebody's retired, like I think teachers are one of the best uh, footprints to becoming a real estate agent. They've, they've taught classes, if they've, if they've taught for 20 years, they've met those students, the parents, the family members, they have just this huge footprint and sphere of influence. Teachers have a great way of getting into the, into the business. So I think your background, your uh, contact with the community, how long you've been in the community, number of people you know, people you're close to, those, those are all factors that kind of more determine um, how you're going to do it as far as occur in real estate. That's interesting that the whole sphere of influence idea is 
of course, it's crucial to a lot of different uh, concerns, a lot of different careers. Uh, but I think sales and, and home sales in particular, real estate sales is, is probably where it's the most crucial. If I go on Facebook, for instance, and check out the mutual friends of, of uh, with any of my close friends, I'm likely to see a correlation where there's 10 to 15 realtors within that mix. So, you know, just about everybody in town, if, if you ask them, you know, name a few realtors can, can name off a, a few names that and, and that's who they're likely to turn to when they have real estate needs so it, it's hard to become the person that when someone thinks real estate that your name becomes synonymous with who they're going to turn to first what uh, marketing and advertising vehicles have you found to be the most effective for you uh, so, social media has been has been probably the largest but really warm leads repeat sales from from people i've helped in the past and then them referring their their friends, their family, their coworkers. That that is my my biggest source is just is repeat sales and um, repeat customers. So we're almost out of time. I want to zoom out a little bit and ask a couple of questions before I turn it over to you for some input. Since hindsight is twenty twenty, if you could go back, what major decision would you change and why? Well, that's a really good question, and I think a lot of people probably could could identify some some big things. But as I mentioned before, I think I'm very fortunate to be in a career that I enjoy. And I'm a firm believer that if you go back and change one thing in history, that everything moving forward from that moment is not the same. So I honestly, to be where I am right now and, and to be content with life and happy and, and, and enjoying things, I, I don't know that I would make any big changes. I, I, I think I'm, I'm a very fortunate person. I'm blessed to be where I am. And uh, I'd be afraid if I went back in time and, and, and said, you know, hey, I could have not gone to UT because I don't need my business license to be a realtor and I, I could have saved you know $30,000 or whatever, I wouldn't be where I'm sitting right now. Well, and, you wouldn't have the same network. Yeah, right. exactly. So so yeah, I, I don't I don't think I would make any, any big changes to my life. I, I like where I am. There, there's been two, two themes to the answer to that question as I've asked that across the podcast. One, and the, the biggest one by far, is I wouldn't change a thing for, for exactly the reasons you've laid out. The other has just been to take more risks, right? To be a little bit more brave, a little, a little bit more risky. Take take that gamble, whereas you might not have in real life. Uh, so last question here, what is next for you? What Do you have anything big on the horizon? Do you have any big projects planned? I, I know one thing that some real estate agents do is they're real estate investors uh, themselves. Uh, are, do you have any uh, investments planned? Are you involved in any investments? Uh, what, what's on, on the horizon for you? I just want to keep nurturing the relationships that I've developed and, and keep growing my my business that way. I try to stay current on education. I stay current on topics of what's going on in the in, in the real estate world. As far as the investment side of things, I've thought about flipping houses before. I do have the background in construction. Rental side of things is not for me. Um, you, you've got to have a certain mindset to be an investor in rentals. And uh, I, I, I take too much control over maintaining properties that I own, things of that nature. And yeah, just just growing personal business and continuing on the path that I've that I'm on. That I, I feel like since I I went out on my own back in uh, February of 2014, uh, I've worked really hard to get to where where I'm at. And I just would hope and like that things keep on rolling, kind of the same path that they're on. So if we were to look at the total body of real estate agents here in the greater Knoxville area, you said it was around 4,700. 
are most of those going to be realtors that do not have any investments in the real estate world or are quite a few of those investor real estate agents the majority are are just in sales i mean they're not either it has to do with the amount of risk to to take on you know doing those kinds of projects or or time Right. Um, for for me, I swear, quality. Just if if I was to be paying somebody, because like when I've remodeled the, the house, I've done most projects myself. To be paying somebody and they come in and see crooked tile or something, I would just be like. Oh. <laughs> well, so exactly, you could almost be the GC on a, on a job. Then you know, you you could be the general contractor that would inspect the quality of your subcontractors, and yeah. so you would be able to inspect and expect. Uh, high quality from your tile guy, from your electric guy, from your plumber, etc. I'm I'm kind of in a situation right now where my my dad is is close to retirement age, I'm trying to find him a place where he can do some form of house hacking because he's to a point where now where his he's really more a consultant in the nuclear science area, chemical engineer, nuclear science. But he's extremely handy, extremely handy. His dad was a mechanic and he was always the type to to do it himself, whether it was framing something in, doing the plumbing, the electric, he can do all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So he would make an excellent uh, property manager, but he's not super knowledgeable about the market or about, uh, well, the real estate market or the ways to safely navigate the space. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to educate him uh, on the options that, that are out there, uh, but also, you know, honor the fact that, yeah, he is older and uh, he's not, he doesn't have 30 working years ahead of him. So we had to find the, the right, the right situation uh, that would, essentially completely pay for the mortgage uh, and and he's just having to pay attention to tenant selection mm-hmm. and uh, property maintenance yeah. right and then he's got that nest egg that's appreciating uh, he can claim the depreciation he's got the, the mortgage pay down uh, it's essentially working for him mm-hmm. and it's something that he can safely leave to his heirs to me to my sister to our, to his grandkids and know that he's leaving them a, a legacy versus debt yeah for example mm-hmm. um, how do how would you counsel me in this scenario. Where is he? He's in Knoxville. He's in Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, he's he's got great. It sounds like he's got great tools and background to be doing that kind of stuff. I guess the starting point is, you know, are you are you financing those kind of projects? Are you paying cash for them? Your 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 associated costs. If, if he came to you, or if I came to you, and said. Russ, as a, as a, an Knoxville realtor, what do you think his first step should be? Should he very tightly define? What he's looking for, or should he work with you to, or you know, work with a realtor to to get a search set up yeah. or some searches set up? What do you think a, a viable path would be for him? Knoxville, I don't know other other markets, but it seems to me when I talk to when people are moving into the area that are getting into real estate investment, I think Knoxville might have a shortage of multi-unit housing compared oh, compared works. compared to other markets. It really. Because I get all the time where people are like, you know, hey, I want I want you to send me, you know, at least, you know, quadplexes or, or more units. And there's like three on the market. And, and they're like, no, no. Like, and I'm like, no, this is really all that's coming up. But so in other markets, there must be a lot more of, of multifamily housing type things than we have here. I personally, as somebody who's just getting started or just trying to get a feel for it, I would say minimize your risk and start small. Get a two bedroom, one bath that needs to be updated, you know, and 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 take it on. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't buy the four hundred and fifty thousand dollar house up the street that you know you could turn around and sell for seven hundred thousand. I I would say start small. Make sure that you do have the right connections to get the work done. You do have the the knowledge to to do everything while protecting yourself from not being out of pocket too much. I would I would start small. Have you encountered any scenarios where someone is doing that that sort of work and then they're 
part and parcel of this needs to be some sort of income. And so if he's doing a single family home flip, obviously he's not getting income from that. Right. Uh, particularly, let's say that it's in early stages of a flip. Potentially, I suppose, let's say it was a two-bedroom, potentially he could renovate it with an income suite in mind. I mean, would he do flipping or do you think it's just holding the, the assets? Well, he would be doing flip by virtue of, of a house hack, right? So he would be wanting to buy things in a less than finished state or less than desirable state because that way he could make the money going in, mm -hmm. right? He's going to make the money by sweat equity mm -hmm. and expertise, adding value to the home so that when he sells it, he's selling it uh, at a much higher price and he's working that uh, that difference. But if that's the case, if he's only making money off of the purchase and then eventual and sale, sale, he has to stay there for what? Is it one year or two years? Uh, he has to stay at uh, two years. Two years, yep. okay. Uh, otherwise, he would have to do, uh, do a 1031 whenever he moved out of the house. I suppose Airbnb is, is a possibility because he would be living in the dwelling, which is, a, a, I think, a requirement for most of Knoxville. Um, I have to check on the regulations again, but yeah. I think that's still the case. A lot of people cheating on it. <laughs> are there? Oh my gosh, so, yeah. so are they just not really enforcing it? I honestly don't don't know what the act, what the risk or penalty would be, but I mean, I, I I know of people that have left the state and instead of doing renting out their houses, you know, on a on a year basis, are doing Airbnb and they making a killing. I mean, yeah. you get you make like four or five times the amount that you do on a regular monthly oh, rental. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we've got a little two-bedroom up in the Smokies. We bought it in 2018. Uh, we're actually looking at selling it now. Um, but we'll get more than double what we pay for it. And that conceivably is going to pay that mortgage off and pay this mortgage off. So then we'll have no mortgages. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a, a nice tabula rasa to start from again at that point. So our, our youngest will be out of daycare next year. Mm -hmm. So no mortgages and no daycare means a lot of money to turn around and amazing. invest in, a, in, a, yeah. uh, in the next big project, whatever that is. So let's talk about renters here for a minute. It's just it's it's completely different personalities. You can get you can get lucky and have amazing tenants and stay in the same house for for ten years and they may you know get light here and there and then catch up or whatever. Or you could have a situation where three months after they move in they stop making payments. It takes you a couple months to get them out. Then you got to replace flooring and holes in the wall and all of a sudden you're out $15,000 between lost income and, and redoing a place. Yeah. The office that I managed, we had a property management division. And I, when that started, when that started becoming more of a, a thing for the business side of that company, I was like, my plate's full on sales. I don't want anything to do with learning this stuff. I've already got enough. But what I saw and heard in the office was enough to personally scare me away of like, it's just not for me because I take care of my home. You know, I, 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 I take, so holding, take care of projects. Care of Single projects. family rentals or, or holding multifamily rental properties in your portfolio is not for you because of your OCD control yeah. of how I maintain something and stuff. Because you can't walk in every Saturday morning and be like, Oh, we've got to take care of this and take care of that and do this because there's privacy involved and sure. you, 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 you know, and they don't want you there and you do, you're, it's awkward to be there. But because things get neglected and, and just you know not taken care of to the standard that you would, it's, it's just, for me, it's pers not the case. But I can see the advantage of it. I've got a friend that's got 13 properties, over half of them are paid for now. If he was to sell them all, he'd be a millionaire. Right. You know, so I, I see the plus side. I just know that there's, 
heartache and frustrations along the way. And I feel like we've got my plate is full with just sales. I don't want to add any extra headaches or stress or anything to my life. Yeah, no, I get that. We, we held a, a single family home for about eight years. Um, we were unable to sell it. It was an A-frame in South Knoxville. And uh, so I had four tenants over that period of time. The first tenant was amazing. Best tenants we ever mm-hmm. had. Uh, we actually worked with them on a kitchen remodel and they did all the work. And we paid for materials. Uh, they were flippers in their own right. And mm-hmm. uh, just because they had uh, just retired and uh, they moved to, to Tennessee and to Knoxville, I hadn't, hadn't bought a home yet and just wanted to rent for a year. So they did. That was a great great first-time rental experience for us, too, being landlords. And it just went progressively downhill from there. I mean, not not a steep you know downturn, but it went downhill. The next tenants were uh, uh, definitely not as cooperative, a little more standoffish didn't really do any damage and always paid. The next pair were uh, were late occasionally. One of them ran a business out of the garage, which was strictly not in the lease at all. And then the, the fourth was a, just a disaster, a complete and unmitigated disaster. Uh, so you really went downhill with each one? It, went, it, went, it was rock bottom, you know, to where I, I spent most of the summer of 2018 remodeling, cleaning up, hauling off trash, remodeling, fixing, replacing carpets, painting walls, fixing holes, replacing plumbing, replacing electric, everything. Landscaping galore. If it was, if it could go wrong, if it could be diminished in value, they did. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was one where I was like, you know, it's 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 time. We've, we've ridden this horse as long as we want to. Let's sell this thing. Buy a, a known commercial vehicle that does well in this area. And that's when we picked up the cabin. I do, th- if I was to do something on the investment side, it would either be a cabin because you have deposits, you've got rental management companies that usually take care of everything for you. You just, you know, you just, you, you're not getting called in the middle of the night if, if a toilet is running or leaking right. or whatever. So it would, would be that or Airbnb has crossed, has crossed my mind. Yeah. I mean, if you, let's say you, you, you had built an addition onto your house in all the construction that you guys did recently, and you had a, a suite that was only, you know, it was, it was detached from the house or, or you know, not enterable from mm-hmm. from the uh, the main house. Then that's something where you could get into it regularly. Like any anytime you had a turn, you can inspect, you can control yeah. and see what damage was done. You can update the furnishings, put up new decoration, yeah. swap out the furniture, yeah. check the plumbing because you're right there, right? So yeah. you have you have that degree of control. That might be something more up your alley. And then you could also highly vet tenants, uh, i.e., guests. Set the bar as high as you'd like on guest quality, mm-hmm. either through pricing. Yeah. or just very specific conditions. Yeah, no, I, I, the, the Airbnb, and it, it's. I'm curious to see how regulations and stuff keep evolving over because it's a it's a big thing. There's there's just businesses out there or investors out there that are just buying properties purely for that that reasoning, and it, it, it's extremely lucrative. Yeah, I don't know at what point it'll become become saturated again. We're probably lucky to be in a, a market where there's so many so much influx of people coming from all over the place because people can't did the rental side of things is just as tight as the sales side of things right now. Yeah. People can't find places to to rent. You know, I've had two two or three people in the past year that have gotten in on building at the beginning of the process. And them finding a six-month rental was like crazy. And and what they're paying fifteen hundred dollars for a one-bedroom apartment is just like holy cow. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't looked at apartments in many, many, many years, but I, I imagine it's somewhat similar there. Hard to get into local apartments. Yeah, that's the probably should have said this. I guess it wasn't really asked, but I don't like the market the way it is right now. People say you're a realtor, you should love this market. You know, you, or they're like, oh, you're in real estate, you must love this market. I hate this market. I miss fairness. You know, I miss a buyer coming into town and being like, you know, okay, we're going to go out Friday and Saturday. We're going to look at 10 to 15 houses. You can have two or three that you like. You pick the one that you want. And then, you know, you get it. 
And now it's like you, they come into town and they've got three days and like, there's two houses on the market and one's a complete dud and this one's going to have 15 offers. Good luck. You know what I mean? Right. It's, I, I miss, I really do miss a balanced fair market because I feel like I could, with, with my sphere of influence and how long I've done this, I feel like I would thrive in either market. You know, I would still be doing just as well, but I, 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 I don't like sellers having all the control. There's a lot less fair. stress in the equation if there's a little bit more equality. And, and I feel horrible, you know, somebody coming out of school that that has they get their first job and they've got student loan debt and they're they buy their first car and you know you get all these all these factors and you know you used to be able to go out and get a get a house for 125,000 have a $600 a month mortgage payment and and have some place decent it's gone and then sit on that for 2 to 5 years and then the the 3% you're getting per year yeah. really that builds up and now you have a a nest egg that you started to to create. But now if you want to get it, you know, if you want your first two bedroom, one bath, that's 1200 square feet, you know, a nice flipped house is $200 a square foot. So you're talking $240,000 for a house that was 125 just four or five years ago. It's just, it, it, it makes me sad because it, it's eliminated the segment of the market that I like to help the most. Right. Yeah. It's, it's certainly impacted them the most, yeah. made it a lot more difficult. Okay. So before we sign off, if you like, could you please tell us how we can find out more about you? If there's anything you'd like to share with our listeners, any words of wisdom or causes that you'd like to make folks aware of? So the, the easiest way to find me is on, on probably on Facebook to connect with me, uh, Russell Orlowski. Not too many of us out there, so a pretty unique name for identification. My website is, is russ-o.com. Um, I'm, I'm known by a lot of my friends as Russ O just for the ease of saying it versus saying Orlowski. Thanks so much, Russ. I, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I know that you were a little hesitant giving what you've, you've said about your, your slightly shy personality, but I really appreciate you coming on and I hope it hasn't been too painful for you. No, I've, I've enjoyed it. And I always enjoy talking about my career. It's just, um, it's different to be doing it recorded. It's kind of, kind of neat. <laughs> so I hope this episode finds somebody out there at just the right time in their own life. Maybe you're thinking of switching careers or Perhaps you're considering buying a home or selling a property. Uh, after this this discussion, I, I, I can say you could do worse than uh, reaching out to Russ. Speaking of listeners, uh, do you find folks out there? The only thing I ask is that if you enjoyed this episode, if this chatter around the unique ways folks end up in their roles is interesting to you, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you feel so inclined, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, stay focused on your why.